Today's reading comes from Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 12. God's marvellous plan for the Gentiles. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that was accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. This morning, oh, thanks, Matt. Good job. Um, we're looking at this idea, mystery of God. I often find myself... Um, back in Ephesians, I, uh, it's, a, it's a great book, it's a beautiful book, and, and in it you've got the first half which is kind of talking about um, the heavenly realms and all of these important things, and then the second half it kind of tells you what to do about it, you know, go out there and how to, how to live it out in real life. But uh, today we've got this um, beautiful passage where Paul talks about some of the mysteries that God has revealed through us as his church. Let me pray. We'll jump into it and look at it a bit more. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks so clearly, so um, truthfully of uh, the world in which we live, but also of ourselves. Lord, we pray that as we come before your word this morning, uh, we might see it as a mirror that reflects back to us uh, a truth of who we are before you. And Lord, in that reflection, we might see some ways with which we can be made more in the image of your son. Lord, I pray this morning that we might have open hearts and open minds before we come before your word. And I pray, Lord, that you might help me speak truthfully and clearly of your word now. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the world is full of all sorts of mysteries, isn't there? Some mysteries have been around for thousands of years. Um, Stonehenge. <clears throat> it's a great example of that, isn't it? It's a mystery that's been around for literally thousands of years, how they put together these huge stone blocks, you know, all of those thousands of years ago, and how they so precisely lined them up with different astrological times of the year, all that kind of stuff. Pretty amazing feat. Some mysteries perhaps aren't so mysterious, you know, like, like this. There was, uh, the internet was a buzz because you had this, this camera that was looking over Denver. And they would regularly see UFOs flying over Denver. Of course, they went out to see the camera and they realised that there was like an insect nest right next to 
But that's what they want you to believe, though, isn't it? Insects. Yeah, sure. Alien insects, maybe. Um, some mysteries in the world are mysterious and won't be solved, some less so. But Paul writes in this passage about a mystery um, that has been made known. A mystery that he sees and understands and he personally is so changed and shaken by what God has revealed through the outpouring of his spirit and the work of his people. Uh, in, in the original language, the word mystery um, referred specifically to things of God. So, you know, the mysteries were the things that were divine. You know, for us, it's like, um, you know, who took the lunch out of my staff room fridge? Now it's a mystery. You know, and we'll never know. You know, like mysteries are everyday things that we don't know. But in the, that New Testament sense, mystery is something that's reserved for the gods. It's reserved for those, those heavenly spiritual things with which only the gods can reveal to us, can, can show us. Have a look. Verse 6, um, Paul writes, This mystery that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery that Paul sees as he is leading and growing and shaping this new church, this Jesus movement, not long after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is that there is this new unity found in the church that has never been seen before in any other place in all of the ancient world. Different races, different cultures, different ethnicities have been found uh, to be one in Christ. And the manifestation of this unity, the way this unity is shown, is seen, is in the church. Is in these Jesus people gathering together, meeting, and, and, and trying to encourage each other to be more like Jesus. He goes on in verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This mystery that he talks about reveals the manifold wisdom of God that is being revealed not just on this earth, but across all the heavenly realms, throughout all of the universe as we understand it. That word um, manifold in, in the original means multicolored. So in the Greek, it's, it means multicolored. You would describe perhaps uh, a bunch of flowers as manifold. Perhaps you would describe uh, Joseph's technicolored dream coat as manifold. You know, this, this uh, uh, arrangement of all sorts of different colors. And Paul sees the church in this way now. It is this manifold, multicolored body of Christ that has been revealed. The church has all people from all places, the Jews, the Gentiles, from all nations called together, being made known. Uh, this period, you know, this, this New Testament period for the church, obviously, is really important for, for what is to come. But also it's important for God's plans. You know, God's plans that were set um, set in motion from the very beginning are kind of reaching their conclusion. They're coming to their fulfilment now in Jesus, but also in the church as it comes after him. It's kind of like at Ocean's Eleven when all of the planning has kind of comes together in that final, the final scenes of the movies, right? This is that part 
of the story when, when it's like Paul is watching it and it's like all of the plans are starting to come into fruition. We're starting to see it. Um, all of these things being made known. All of these changes are happening. These things are different. And of course, um, there is no bigger change that now the Gentiles are included in the family of God. You know, in the old Jewish system, they never could be included in the family of God. There were all of these different systems of division. But now, in the revealed mystery of God, there is this oneness, this manifold, multicoloured oneness that has brought us to this place. Uh, who here enjoys gardening? Oh, enjoy? Oh my gosh, okay. All right. You know, I do gardening. Oh, actually, I don't really do gardening. What am I saying? Uh, occasionally, occasionally I do gardening. Although now there's a right, right on mower. I don't mind getting that out and doing that. Is that gardening? Right on mower? No. Okay. My nana was a great gardener. Clearly it's not genetic, right? Um, she uh, would win um, awards for some of her plants. And she was a, a, a fantastic grafter. You know how you would graft? She would graft like rose bushes onto like a long stem. So you'd have these beautiful rose bush that would sit up like six foot tall in a pot of plant. Beautiful things. Um, and she loved to be in the garden, in the, in the backyard. Um, Pop made a big kind of greenhouse for her to be able to grow and cultivate all her plants so she could do her, do her grafting um, and all that kind of stuff. I, they, they passed when I was young, but I remember running around th through, the, through the greenhouse a number of times. Um, of course, for those who are, are unfamiliar with the idea of grafting, it's when you take uh, two separate plants uh, and, and you combine them together so that they are now one, right? Um, the, the grafted in plant lives from the, uh, the nutrients that are drawn in by the original plant. Um, these two separate entities become this one entity now. Uh, the way that Paul in Romans describes this unity of the church, this bringing of all these different people together, is this grafting. These, these different people groups have been grafted in together. It's not like they're just hanging out together. It's not like they're just, you know, that they meet in the same building at the same time. But they are of one body. They are, you know, the same lifeblood that flows through one feeds the other. They are connected on this deep, deep level. It's this radical shift for them, this huge change in how they uh, understand the world and how they understand their place uh, before God, right? For us, it's kind of hard to fathom because the church is just the church. It's been around for 2,000 years, right? But for them, this was this monumental shift in the way they understood their place before God and also the rest of the world's place before God. Um, there's this newfound reality that they have. Uh, and in the bringing, the bringing about this newfound reality, there's a cost, right? Paul often finds himself in all sorts of hot water trying to um, realise God's vision for unity for the church. Creates all sorts of problems. Paul literally puts himself in physical danger defending it. Um, he fights many battles um, so that the outside of the Gentile might be part of what God is doing. The kingdom of God is built by the will of God, but also the blood, sweat and tears of those who follow him and those who uh, listen to his calling to them. Here Paul says, this great twist in the plot has been revealed. This twist that the new church is not just Israel, but is the whole world. And that this church 
is actually the way with which God is making his plans known to the whole universe. Have a look at that verse 10 again. It's really interesting when you think about what's being said. His intent was that now, through the church, right, the church is the means, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. The church is the way that God makes his manifold, multicoloured wisdom known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's like the church throughout the ages is being watched, as in the church is the stage. And who is in the audience? It's the heavenly hosts, it's the angels, it's the seraphim, the cherubim, the demons, whoever in their spiritual world are watching the church being played out. And what God is saying to all of the heavenly hosts through the church is that this is a foretaste of my plans for all creation. You know, it's this great spiritual soap opera that's being played out. And God is saying to all those who are watching, um, there will come a time when I will reconcile all creation to myself. There will be unity not just between mankind and God or just between Christians and God, but between all of creation and all of the heavenly realms. You know, you know the story of um, Eden is, is the story of the, 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 the dissolution of unity right, between creation and God. But there will be a restoration. There will be reconciliation of all of creation and the heavenly realms, uh, God in particular, of course, as the centerpiece of all of that. And he's saying to all of them, watch the church. This is a foretaste of what it will be. This is the mystery. This is the revelation that is being brought about. And if you think of it in those terms, you see why Paul so fervently fights for the church, why he so fervently will put himself in harm's way for the church, while he'll go to jail for the church, because it's not just a bunch of people hanging together in a room, right? But what happens in the gathering of God's people is a revelation of God's wisdom, his plans for all of all of created order, uh, and the heavenly realms are watching. You know, like we're being watched, right? <laughs> Be on your best behaviour. People are paying attention. And I think, you know, it was as I was reading through this passage this week, it kind of struck me that partly of what this is, it's actually like Paul's almost like his love letter to the church. It's like he's saying, you know, what we're doing here is really important, like on, a, like on a cosmic level important, like a universal level important. Um, don't, don't ever devalue what's happened when God's people gather together and, and be intentional about being in unity and communion with one another. You know, it, it can be easy to be down on the church, not just our church, but down on the overall church, isn't it? You know, I found myself many times being down on the church, getting frustrated by the church or, you know, feeling like it's completely out of touch or it's not actually doing the things that we think that it should be doing and all that kind of stuff. But the encouragement from this passage is that it's more than just people meeting in a room and singing some songs they like. It's more than just people meeting in a room uh, and hearing a sermon. Right? It's much bigger than that. And I think what he's trying to write to the Ephesians, he's trying to paint this image and say, guys, what you're doing is bigger than you know. And we have this challenge where we sit in history um, is because you know, in Paul's time, the church was a movement. It was a movement of Jesus' people. These people who responded to the story of Jesus and they were compelled to gather together. 
and like figure it out what it's going to be. But we sit 2,000 years the other side of that and the church isn't movement anymore, it's institution. You know, it's one of the oldest institutions, isn't it? You know, 2,000 years of institution behind us. And there's this tension between church's movement and church as institution. Perhaps you are having the same thought that I often have. You think, oh, institution, that's terrible. Um, that's like true and not true. The first thing the church does is try and organise itself. Like Paul writes these letters to try and organise these churches because without any institution you have chaos and you get yourself into all sorts of trouble. You know, Paul writes letters to the Corinthians that, that make your eyes water with how they were trying to work out their faith and what they were assuming that you could do now under grace, under Jesus. The church spends some time trying to organise and shape itself but of course, where we stand today is sometimes we feel like that institution becomes a hurdle for the movement. It becomes an obstacle. It stops the movement being a movement and puts the brakes on to a point when it becomes too much institution. There needs to be some healthy balance built, isn't it? Um, so that we're not just a movement without any order, without any shape, but so that we're, we haven't lost our passion. You know what I mean? We haven't lost that passion and that heart for the movement that is people who have been changed by the story of Jesus and that they want to be more like him, you know? It made me think about uh, us and our church, you know, how we go around trying to be that, trying to be a church that isn't too institution, that is movement, that finds a balance, that seeks to, to um, hold the, 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 the preciousness of what God is doing in the church, uh, in how we express it and how we live. You know, it reminded me of our, our vision values, our values being family and engaged and active, which is a way that we try to keep ourselves on the right track, try and keep ourselves focused to be the church that God has called us to be. And we'll continue to do that, to be a church that is family as we gather, that is engaging with God, is engaging with our spiritual walk and is active in the community around us. We want to be a church that's retaining that heart and that passion of the Jesus people movement, um, but not completely losing our way as we're trying to do it. So, uh, you know, how do we land this plane? Where, where, where do we go from this passage? Well, I think part of what we read in this passage is, um, is an encouragement uh, and also a challenge. The encouragement is that in joining the church, it's not just a club. You're not just joining a choir or you're not just joining the local RSL. But what we're doing here has universal cosmic uh, ramifications. The heavenly realms are watching it. Being connected to the body is a big and an important thing. You know, like it's, it's true, you don't need to be uh, a Christian to, to, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, right? True statement. But you also don't need to go home to be married. But I don't recommend it. You know, if you're married and you never actually go home, it ain't going to end so well. Same kind of thing with the church. It's like, yeah, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. But you know what? It's, it's a really good thing to do. I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here today. But I want to encourage you in that, right? And I want to encourage you as well with the fact that, you know, over the last however many years of all of the hurdles and the challenges that we've had, COVID and staff changes and all of this kind of stuff, um, I feel like PC has done a pretty good job of being the church God has called us to be. And actually, when I was writing this sermon, I was like, I don't really want to rebuke you. I want to encourage you and say that there's so many encouraging things that happens amongst 
our people here. Um, you know, over the last 18 months particularly, I've seen so many people just step up to help out or put their hand up for things which they've just seen a need. They've gone, you know, I can help out with that. It could be something little, it could be something big. But the amount of times people just said, oh, I could do this. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> that is awesome. That's what the church is, isn't it? It's people just going, I feel like there's a need here. And I feel like I can serve in this way. I've seen so many people caring for others, being intentional about checking in with people who are unwell, being intentional about looking out for people who are struggling, um, about making sure people who maybe haven't been to life group or whatever for a while, that they're staying in contact with them. You know, I've been seeing so many people doing amazing pastoral care and pastoral work. Yeah, and as Rick mentioned earlier, you know, our celebration last week, it was a great example. Like, it was just an example of um, one way with which so many people just put their hands up to be part of something that we thought was good. And we thought was going to encourage the, uh, our church, but also people who haven't been part of a church or our, our church for a while, the wider community. It was a really encouraging experience. You know, in this time, I've seen people, like, start things off their own bat and just run them, you know? Like, we've got uh, Steve Park, who just kind of keeps that bread ministry going. It's like a, it's, it uses a cast of thousands, right? And Steve gives all sorts of time to make it happen. Luke meets up with people and goes street evangelising, just to take the gospel to anyone in wherever it might be, local Monovel, that, that's going to hear it. You know, this is great. That's what the church is. Uh, in, in the evening, one of the young people said, oh, we should do, I had this, there was this idea I saw where it's a mission meal, where you, someone just makes a meal after church, Everyone pays, and the, and the leftovers, the extra money, goes to Zim. I'm like, great, do it. And it happens pretty much every week. Someone makes a meal. We make, like, we've made hundreds of dollars for Zim so far. It'll be thousands by the end of the year. And the best part about it is I don't do anything for it. <laughs> you know what I do? I pay my money and eat a meal, right? Because that's what the church is. The church is God's people just listening to the call and responding. I don't want you to pat yourself on the back too much. There's room for improvement, right? We can always do better. But I do also want you to be encouraged in what is happening in this place. That this is what the church is. It's a bunch of Jesus people coming together for the sake of the kingdom and just seeing what God might have them do. You know, and we as a church, we're, we're, we use these vision values to keep us focused. I mean, family being engaged and being active, engaged with God, active in the community, gathering together as brothers and sisters, not just as people in a room that like to sing the same kind of songs. Ben, if I could have you up. Um, there's this encouragement for us to never lose that passion, to never lose that motivation of the movement, right? Not let that get lost in the institution of the church, but also never to forget um, the honour it is to be a part of what God is doing to be a part of what God is doing in this place, in our community and around us. Rick, is it all right if I ask you to pray for us? And then we'll sing our final song. Thanks, Rick.